0: Number 71, TZ Daily is a daily chat show with Justin Vincent and Jason Roberts, where we talk about tech, startups and hacking, and other interesting shit. TZ Daily is a daily rocket ship for the mind, and you are invited to fly. I think that's a bit much. <laughs>
1: Why? <laughs> you sound like a radio guy. That's sound what like, trying uh, to sound
0: like. Yeah, like. yeah, I don't know. A little much for me. <laughs> well, we'll keep that one and we'll see, we'll see what people say. And then if they really don't like it, then we'll do it differently another time.
1: All right. All right. So uh, we're going to start doing our daily show instead of our weekend show. Yeah. Right? That's the new plan. So for all our, new, all our listeners, uh, we've, we've decided that it might be a little more fun to, rather than do a single hour and a half-ish podcast on the discussion show on the weekend, that we'll just do a daily 15 to 20-minute show. And we'll run this for a couple weeks to see how it goes as an experiment.
0: Yeah. I, I, th- I think that, uh, you know, part of, the, part of the thing of being an interesting show is also having a little bit of showmanship, right? Well, certainly one of us. Okay. You don't agree? <laughs>
1: uh, I don't know. Uh, so showmanship, you mean in
0: terms of what? This is great. This is great. Like straight away, the very first thing that happens on the very first TZ Daily Show, we're already disagreeing.
1: <laughs> I don't think I know how to agree with you. I think it's my disposition is to disagree. <laughs> okay, well, let's, so let's get into our uh, tech. Let's get into some, into some
0: um, topics. All right, so what you got?
1: All right, well, uh, I, an interesting um, post that I saw was called Cumulative Advantage, Why You Need a Bias Towards Action. Okay. And essentially what the guy's saying, the guy, the guy who wrote it um, is a guy named Rob May, and he's the CEO and founder of Backupify, which I'm, I think probably some of our listeners have, have heard of. Um, he, he's basically saying like, when you act, you learn, right? So when you, when you try things some, things, some of those things are going to work, and some of the things are not going to work. And by just sitting there thinking about it, you're not really learning much. So, if you want to increase your learning rate, then you act. You do stuff. You start building stuff, even if you're not sure it's the uh, what you're working on is the right thing or if it's going to work in the long run.
0: But that that is a bit kind of obvious, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but I think it's kind of, I think it's a, it's a good reminder for people though, because a lot of times, you spend you spend more time than you should wondering and thinking if this is going to be a good idea, where you should just kind of pick something that seems cool and seems interesting and then just work on it for a little bit and see what happens. Right. Um, you know, because a couple of things that he brings up which are interesting are the Matthews effect, which is essentially that kids who learn to read earlier uh, ultimately become better students and better readers later because when you start reading younger, you you read more, and then you're just kind of further up the learning curve. Right. And he sort of equates that to startups. So if you act earlier and start building stuff, um, you're kind of further up the curve a little bit. And I don't know if the analogy holds it together completely, but that's that's his comparison. I think
0: it's pretty, you know, valid advice, but I, I just kind of think that's what we have been saying. So, you know, we've said that so many times before. It's the whole MVP thing. I mean, how how is it different with the MVP stuff? No, it's not.
1: I mean, it's not. It's just It's just because I think what can happen is that even if you're doing MVP, you take forever deciding whether or not
0: to do the MVP. Right? What MVP am I going to do? Just do something. Right, right. Just, just, in, just in case anyone's not in the no MVP um, minimum viable product.
1: Right. I mean, you know, it's it's fine to say, well, if you're going to do something, you should get it out early and iterate. But, you know, what? So does it help,
0: is is he helping you decide what your
1: MVP is? No, no, he's not saying that. He's just saying just bias towards action. If whenever you find yourself just sort of sitting around and thinking about what you're going to do for a long time, then, just do it. then you need to just do it. And it's funny because it reminds me of some conversations I've had with Taylor Norrish, also yeah. known as the depressed designer, and he's been <laughs> contemplating all these different startup ideas. And I'm thinking, you know what, maybe you should just do one. It doesn't matter. Just do something.
0: It's kind of, yeah, it's it's sort of the opposite end of, of the App Ignite story, because in in one sense, with App, like there, there, there's like a happy medium between all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got, you've got the one thing where you're sitting around doing nothing and you're taking a long time before anyone sees it. Then you've got the other end of the spectrum where you put huge amounts of work into something and spend a long time before, but you just don't release it, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's not exactly the same thing because, you know, that's a whole different, that's, a, that's a probably a whole different discussion about releasing early and releasing out. Releasing often, as right. opposed to spending a lot of time thinking about what you're going to do, as opposed to just picking something and doing it. Um, as we've talked about, sometimes it's just really hard to figure out whether an idea is a good idea or not. You know, everyone, oftentimes these ideas that seem ridiculous turn out to be good ideas, and people didn't understand that they were good ideas until something had ever been built, and people tried it and experimented with it. So, um, I, I don't know, I, I just think it's, a, it's just a good Reminder, and it, it reminds me. Of one, and I'll use a soccer analogy here. <laughs> it's like well, if you're on a soccer field, and it, it, I can't remember which coach of mine said this to me, but he says you need to ask yourself, "How am I helping my team right now?" Right? And usually, if you're just standing there watching the ball, you're not really helping your team. Probably, you know you you usually need to be doing something. I mean, sometimes you don't you don't want to run around with a, like a chicken with its head to cut off, but you you oftentimes can put yourself in a more dangerous position to pull defenders out of place, make a run, you make yourself open, you know, double up on defense, whatever. So it's it's essentially asking yourself, what am I doing right now to make myself more dangerous?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway. So, yeah, no, that's, that's good. And um, I, that also sort of ties in in a weird kind of way to what Derek Sivers was saying about well, I guess it, it to, to me anyway, to my way of thinking, it makes me think of the whole release early release often and also increase your lock surface area and just put out a lot. so Derek Sivers, for example, writing a blog post every day, which I think has kind of inspired our texting daily we've We've kind of thought, well, look, why don't we just put something out every day right before we were we were just releasing something twice a week, but we're thinking, well, maybe it's going to increase our lock surface area if we put something out every day. Would you agree with that?
1: I think so, but I think it's also it increases our learning rate.
0: Yeah, so that's it's, true.
1: It, if we make mistakes, you know, we learn, but it's only once a week. But now we can learn every day so we can look back at the show and go, OK, well, what worked? What didn't work? Was it the choice of topics? Was I monologuing? Too <laughs> so is that what you're
0: working on today? You're monologuing. I'm working
1: on monologuing in general. <laughs> so I'm going to try not to. We had a few, co- uh, a few of our listeners comment jokingly saying they weren't sure I could keep... Uh, I could say anything in under 15 minutes. So
0: that's <laughs> that's my uh that's my, my, my favorite comment. I can't remember who wrote it, but basically they were like, "Well, look, if if you cut the shows down to 15 minutes, we're actually never going to hear Justin again. Like we'll just hear him in the intro and then that's the end of it."
1: Yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to try and uh try and stop doing that. But anyway, so we increase our we increase our uh, learning rate um and I think Dvorak, when we interviewed him back in June, you know, we were asking him about, you know, why they release two shows a week for No Agenda, yeah. Yeah. I think I asked him, weren't there diminishing returns as opposed to doing it once a week? And he said, no, he felt that your growth was directly correlated to how often you, you released a show. Right. I mean, obviously, if you go down and release a show that's two minutes in length, that's probably not going to help you much if you release five of those a day. <laughs> but uh, at some point, you know, up to maybe once a day, you're probably going to grow faster. And we figure, well... You know, it's it's probably no more work to do five 20 minute shows than it is to do one long show at the end of the week. In fact, it may be less work because we kind of get into like a, a rhythm, we get into routine and we just knock them out.
0: Yeah. And it, we, we knock them out. And, you know, the editing process is easier Then also uh, one of the big the big, um, uh, let's say, bottlenecks in the process of producing the podcast has been re-listening to the show and writing the show notes, right? So if the show's only 15, 20 minutes long, it's going to be much faster for us to go through that and get that part of it done.
1: That's right. It just just becomes quicker turnaround. And also, you know that when you put constraints on yourself, it forces you to, to adhere to those constraints. It forces you to be more efficient, right? So if, like, we're going to do one show a week, I can spend more time than I should writing up the description or thinking up a title or just whatever whereas if we're gonna do one every day i mean i, I can't uh, spend too much time on that stuff which probably in the end isn't all that
0: important and i can try my crazy intros like i did today and then we'll get we can get pretty fu- quick feedback about whether the listeners <laughs> think that's a lot of rubbish or not <laughs> right. right okay i've got something um so well, a couple of things actually um did you see spoon.net in hacker news no Spoon.net just just type that into your browser and have a quick look at that it's kind of interesting um Basically, if I understand it correctly, it is a way to run Windows apps anywhere. Okay. I think that's what it is. Okay. And uh, that's kind of cool, isn't it? Like, you basically can run your apps in the browser, web browser. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Spoon virtualization lets you run desktops app- apps with no installs at work, at home, and or on the road. Hmm. That's interesting. Is it is it free, or is it... Uh
0: cost any money well there's no there's no cost right now virtualize your existing apps and publish to standalone XEs or flash drivers spoon server or spoon.net flash drivers what does that mean I guess that means uh, I'm I'm thinking a flash driver they may be talking about flash drive right so flash memory
1: oh it's not that it runs using flash in the browser it's not like it has a flash it's virtualized inside a flash I think so yeah
0: that's my guess. Let's see. Let's see. Virtualized 64-bit applications. Published to standalone executables. Um, okay, so it's not, really, it's not really running. Oh, no, it, it is running on the web. Yeah. Web Published applications to the Spoon.net library to enable cloud-based delivery. Once online, your application can be embedded into websites, blogs, and social networks, providing convenient access for users, and enabling an SAS SAAS business model. So anyway, I would I would recommend checking out Spoon.net. It's kind of interesting. Right.
1: So we need to uh thank Justice Condor for writing a really flattering uh, review of the show in his on his blog.
0: It was almost like he was our shill, right?
1: <laughs> well, it was fairly nice. I mean I obviously you know, we've asked our listeners to, um, you know, blog about the show uh, and tweet about us. If, of course, only if you like the show. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we want people to be honest, but hopefully um, we're looking for positive reviews. And, you know, Justin wrote a really, uh, our Justice, sorry. Justice, uh, Justice wrote a uh, a really, uh, you know, positive review. So it was really cool. Um, and he's over at SingularityHacker.com. Um, he says, Tech Zing, only the best tech podcast online. So, um, you know, first of all, Justice, thanks for the, uh, thanks for the uh, review. It was really, uh, really nice. Um, so Justice has a, um, he has a, a product. It's called uh, the iPad Easel, right? Yeah. Have you, have you looked at it? I didn't get a chance to look at it. Okay. So the iPad Easel essentially allows you to um, – let me go to it real quick. iPad Easel. Yeah, go to um, easel 4 and okay. essentially what he's created um, is, you know, just like an easel for holding your iPad. So if you're watching movies and stuff, you know, I guess it's weird. If you're trying to watch a movie, you either have to hold it in your lap, or if you want to sit down a, at a table or something, how do you hold it? That is true. Now,
0: um, how, uh, easel for ipad how do you, how do you spell that?
1: E-A-S-E-L, Yeah. 4 ipadcom um, and it's, it's only $25 compared to, I guess he, he he's just does a comparison against some of these other ones, which are 40, 50, 60 bucks. Um, so you know, good for you, justice. Uh, wish you the best of luck with uh easel for iPad. That's, uh, cool. So, um, all right, ne- on, on, ne- on to the next, what else you got?
0: I've just got, uh, I'm just, I'm just laughing at you. <laughs> it's funny what? because you're, you're, it's just how this how this whole thing's working. I'm trying to fit this into the the um, fifteen minutes. Okay, so another thing that I saw was um, Octobot. Right, it's a task queue worker for applications that must process message queues with extremely high throughput, minimal latency, and high availability.
1: Are you just doing product reviews here, or what? No, just it's just stuff that I thought was interesting these interesting ideas or are they just products? Well, they're they, are, they are products,
0: but they're interesting let's, products. Okay. what's
1: our next, okay, well, what is? Okay, you, you don't want to talk about that? Fair enough. No, if, you don't,
0: if you don't want to talk about that, Jason, we won't talk about it. I'll just say Octobot and that's it. Finished. Back what to you. Is what it? You, go, go on. What is it? Already said. Uh, it does what? I, I wasn't listening very well. It's basically, um, I, I guess, in, in the way that Cassandra is like a no DB and uh, MySQL is an SQL DB and they're all kind of low-level low services. This is a low-level service that's very parallel, reliable, flexible uh, for task queuing. Okay, like, right. give me an so, example of why you would need it. Um, so let's say, let's say someone comes to your website and um, they register, and you need to send them an email. And in that email, you need to put, uh, you need to do a bunch of stats processing, processing before you put it in the email. And you have a million people registering every day. You don't want to do that all just uh, like. On the fly, you, what you want to do is you want to queue that workload up. Right? Have you ever had a website that was busy enough that you actually had to queue stuff? No, I haven't. But that doesn't mean that it isn't useful. <laughs> so, what's your point? It's, why why do you even it, say it, that? What's your point? I'm
1: just wondering. I mean, I'm just wondering. It's like a it's like a, a tool that very few people are ever going to need. They're ever going to have a website that's so. That's so popular. That's going to have so scaling problems that you're going to have to do um, some kind of a queue like that. I mean, if you get there, great. I'm just
0: wondering how. how well, it's not just for scaling. I mean, say for say for example, Swarm, right? The game that I'm developing. If you want a network version, you're going to need to have some kind of queuing system to send the messages around.
1: I guess. Yeah. I mean. I, I mean. I guess. I mean. It, it, no, because if Swarm, if you're using um, pub sub, would you guys? PubNub. Are using right PubNub? I'm sorry, PubNub. They have their own real-time eventing, right? right? So you just write, you just publish to, um, I don't know, to a channel or whatever they call it, a topic, and it it does all that for you. So you don't have to do that. I, I'm just wondering because if it's a real-time system, then you're going to use something that doesn't have queues. It's just going to it's going to handle that automatically i'm just
0: wondering i'm not saying that it isn't useful i'm just wondering how i mean it's a pretty it's a pretty common pattern you know to to like that's that's one of the big tricks of of scaling Right mm-hmm. is, is processing stuff through queues. So. Well, it's just what's
1: interesting about the scaling stuff. People talk about all the scaling stuff, and I just wonder how many people really run into scaling problems. It's like, they talk about you have to use NoSQL and sharding and open schemas for databases and all this stuff. I mean, what percentage of databases actually get to the point where they can't use a more of a traditional um, database model and database st- structure? I mean... Right. I mean, is it, you know, because one thing, uh, you know, software developers are are so often accused of is premature optimization. We spend all this time worrying about things that never come to be. I mean, it's never an issue, right? Oh, we got to worry about when we get all these people signing up, does it, how often does that happen? I mean, maybe it does. I'm just wondering. Is it just happened that one time when you get the TechCrunch article written about you, and then you don't have it again until, you, unless you're really,
0: really lucky, and at that point maybe you can have to worry about it? Okay, so if you're developing for a client, right, you're developing work for a client. Do you want mm-hmm. to give them a solution that's that with the capacity of scaling? I mean, how how are you gonna gonna sell to them when they say to you, "Is it gonna scale?"
1: I don't know. I'm just wondering. Well, I'm just wondering at what at what size. I mean, what kind of traffic are we talking about? Especially with how fast servers are getting these days at what point do you have to abandon the traditional design patterns and go to this
0: um, built to scale model okay so here's here okay let me just read what's it do octobot octobot is a task queue worker for applications that must process message queues with extremely high throughput so it sounds like it can also be used for the kind of thing that you that you used to work on like the um, the the, no, you can't queue. Stuff. No, you
1: can't queue. It has to be, you know, we're talking has to be within the millisecond. You can't do any queuing. There's no there's really no buffering. Mm. It's just real time. I mean, it gets sent to a socket buffer, but I mean it's processed effectively at at, at at in real time. You know, you, there's no no queuing of mm. stuff workflow. I mean, we're trading, we're talking about the high frequency trading stuff that I was working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you that's why you can't have these um, the CPU is getting, you know, very high utilization because it needs to be available to process stuff, you know, this the moment that it receives a, a market quote or an order update, I mean, it has to, be, it has to react immediately.
0: Okay, let me continue. Octobos, uh, sorry, Octobot is designed to be a first-class citizen in your infrastructure, providing a reliable queue worker system that can process tasks from any number of queues at varying priorities distributed across multiple data centers, ensuring that as long as the queue is up and an Octobot instance is alive, somewhere in the world or deep under the sea, the work will get done. Interest you yet? Have I sold you on it yet?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know. It interests me because I don't have that problem yet. Maybe one day when I get to the problem where I have to
0: worry about scaling, I'll be worried about it. Okay, then, then we'll talk <laughs> about Octobot, and I'll be like, oh, remember the Octobot? That's what, all right. <laughs> Okay, that, so, so f- firstly, I was about to say let's move on, but we've hit the 20-minute mark already. Really? Wow. (laughs) So here's the thing. I don't even think this is going to be possible in 20 minutes. (laughs) Right. What do you think?
1: I don't know. I don't know. Um, I guess it'll be difficult. We're going to have to learn to squeeze stuff in quicker. So I was just going to one funny thing today. Um, You know, I guess my one last thing. (laughs) So I I went and dropped my daughter Izzy off at school. and She's in uh, preschool. Yeah and she has a problem the 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 teacher has talked to us already that she's not the best listener <laughs> Uh, which is funny because you know and, she, and so Sandy's was trying to come up with like well how are we going to deal with this You because know, we, we know that's the case right she's not a great listener and so Sandy put a sticker on her hand it's called her listening sticker and told her that when she goes to school you know if you're not listening the teacher will take your little listening sticker off it's like a little pink heart on her hand and right. of course Izzy loves the little pink heart so and I talked to the teacher and I said yeah well we realize that she's not listening I said here's the thing I think she can focus on things if she's really interested in them, but if she, if she loses interest, she'll just not focus on it. She's thinking about something else. And I said, which is exactly how I was, and I guess I still am, because it reminds me, like, in high school when I was in math class, most people would get called on, you know, like, once every third or fourth class, like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, Justin, what's the, you know, how do you solve this problem, right? Mm-hmm. I would get called on three to five times every single class. Jason jason why is that Uh, because i wasn't paying attention because you were paying attention right and i mean i I was you know a a good student i was you know i was an a student and all that it wasn't like i wasn't able to um do well it's just i just couldn't um i just couldn't pay attention to stuff for a long time that i wasn't really interested in it was just funny you know when you see that in your kid you're like oh man Mm. that's exactly how i was and i guess they get your genes don't they
0: I do. So that was kind of a funny thing today. Well, I, I hope she gets better soon. <laughs> I don't think she's getting <laughs> hey, hey, no, better. No, Colin, we, we, we have to go for it. We have to go for a little bit more. That would, that would just be unsatisfying to listen to. Okay. I think, I, I think we should just at least do, th- I think 30 minutes is better than, than 20. All right, well, what else? What do you got now? Okay, just very, just very quickly anyway. Um, the Dig redesign lost them 26% of traffic within a month. I thought that was interesting. Why? What do you think about that?
1: Why did they, Why did they lose? Did there any speculation on? Do they? Did they think it? No. Is it causation or is it just correlate? I mean, is it is is it caused by the redesign or it just happened that they lost it anyway? The they, they
0: think that the whole the whole handling of it is like is going to be marked down in history as one of those things as how to really do something wrong. You know, how to really piss off your user base. How to change change the whole system and the whole site in a way that. It it just tanks you, right? Right. So, um, l- let me let me read. The launch of Dig's redesign will likely go down in the history of social media as a textbook example for how to alienate your users. Over the last few weeks, we've chronicled the demise of Dig community in great detail. But thanks to the latest data from Hitwise, we now have some hard facts about the current state of Dig. At its peak, Dig had over forty million unique visitors every month. Since the launch, it's gone down to, you know, and then they give like a twenty six percent stat. So I just thought it was interesting, and it's. It's something that if we, if we ever have a site as busy as Dig, we pay attention. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I just think that Dig has probably had its day, you know? Right. I mean, it's, Dig has had its day. It's, um,
0: the traffic was already going down, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. Wouldn't they have a bunch of scaling problems? That's why the VP of engineering fail, uh, you know, fired, which is something you got really well, upset. No, but you found very upsetting, the, right?
0: The redesign that happened at the same time, right? So the scaling issue... Was, was when Dig introduced um, Sandra. Cassandra. Cassa- Cassandra. Yeah, Cassandra. I and mean, really right. all they needed was Octobot. Yeah, exactly. If they'd have used Octobot, they would have, they would have been on the winner.
1: So, I don't know. I mean, I think that, I think that, you know, Reddit was probably growing and eating their lunch a little bit. I think that, um, I, you know, it's just things come into fashion for a while and then people get bored of them. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's probably what happened to Dig. Um, Twitter, things like Twitter, and Facebook kind of blew past them because Dig really took off before Facebook had a lot of um, traction and before Twitter came into
0: being, right? Well, do you so do you think that that's, that same cycle is going to happen to Facebook and Twitter? Then do you think that Facebook is going to be dead one day?
1: Yeah, eventually.
0: I mean, the question is just how
1: long it holds on. I mean, nothing holds on forever. Everything. Well, do you dies. think Google's going
0: to be dead? Eventually,
1: eventually, everything will die. I mean, no company lasts forever. I mean, how many companies have been around for like two hundred years? You know, there might be like one Coke. or two, you know. No, it hasn't been around 200, well, maybe 100 years, 100 and so. But, you know, everything dies eventually or gets, it just, I don't know, the world changes, you know. And I mm-hmm. think it falls It falls victim to the innovator's dilemma. You know, you get to a situation where you have um, your revenue model and then other, as the, and as the incumbent, you have to protect those revenue models. But you can't try every new thing. But as the world's changing, all these sort of, new competitors come out of the woodwork and they can, they can adapt to exactly how the world is in its new current new state. Whereas you're more adapted to how things have been, but the world is changing at some point the tide just shifts just like how um you know google is just you know displaced the other search engines before them and microsoft displaced um some of the many computing companies and i mean everything and you how it happens over and over and over again
0: a cycle is always going to happen and so and, as okay i'm sorry go on. <laughs> so <laughs> so with with the innovators dilemma like what is it that stops them from putting it in, in a cheaper price point or something like that
1: well, okay, I haven't reviewed the ideas and in, 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 uh, the innovator's dilemma in a while, but off the top of my head, it's essentially that when, you know, you, 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 you kind of have to protect your, your uh, margins, right? You have to have a cash cow. It's kind of like, well, why can't Microsoft start giving away their uh, Office Suite for free because Google is doing Google Docs and giving away for free, right? Well, that's how they make their money. Um, and
0: they just have to hold it at a certain level. It's kind of like... Why can't they guess, transition? Why can't they transition into an ad-based scenario versus? Well, I
1: think they do. I think companies like that do. But what h- ends up happening is they get they only move into this new sort of pricing regime. Um, they they don't, they do it reluctantly, right? Because right. they're trying to protect their cash flow. They have a certain revenue. They, they're just not going to cannibalize the whole thing because some new entrant um, in the marketplace is eating a little bit into their. Um, and to their revenue, and to their uh, percentage of the market, their market share. But what happens is, at first it's a very small amount, but over time that small amount gets bigger, and then when it starts growing and happening at a faster rate, that by the time the incumbent realizes, oh no, it's, it's kind of too late, the momentum has shifted. It's kind of like you know, IE uh, IE's uh, browser. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, now, even even though they're coming out with IE9, it's going to be hard to stem the tide of movement to Firefox and Safari and Chrome. Mm, that's right? right. Even even Chrome is sort of eating Firefox's lunch. Mm-hmm. Right. Firefox, everyone is like Chrome. Who uses Chrome? And I was like, oh, crap, Chrome has taken over. It's just uh, there was a big article on Lifehacker. I read about that a couple of days ago. And it was talking about how, you know, all the people who are sort of like at the, the early adopters are all using Chrome now.
0: So you can never be. I guess whatever you do, I mean, the lesson is, is never kind of think to yourself, right, I'm investing my entire life into this, whatever that thing is that you're building. Like you can't, you, well, I mean, I suppose Bill Gates did invest his entire life and Stephen Jobs has have, have invested his entire life. So, uh, uh, you know, how does that work?
1: Well, yeah. I think on the scale of our lifetimes, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you build a company up, it's going to maintain a certain market share and and, and level of success that's probably fairly long in comparison to our working lives as working right. adults, you know, yeah. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, that kind of thing. But when you talk about the 10, 15 year period, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you could probably argue that the scale may be decreasing right. because you think of how fast it, how long did it take Microsoft to become a billion dollar company? I mean, it was remarkably fast, but it was like 10 years and then, Google. Long, right. and then Google and then Facebook and then and then group on, you know, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just, um, it's just compacting. It's amped up, yeah. Uh, but uh, you just, things happen fast and they get there and they, you know, they, they create a new market and they start making a lot of money. And then, you know, it's, if the world changes significantly after
0: that, then uh, there are going to be opportunities for competitors, I think. Well, talking about things happening fast, this show has happened fast and it, it does feel very weird to me that we now kind of need to wrap up <laughs> wow that w- that
1: was a nice segue i like that
0: yeah. well done <laughs> thanks thanks well um so that, that w- w- that's it jason what, what do you think i think that's a wrap we're out